Lord, just help us see these things. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would really open our eyes so clear to this reality of life. Life in you. Lord, I pray that you would just cut any remaining tentacles from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from our thinking. Renew our minds, Lord, to see the reality of the tree of life. Help us speak as one who has already died and been raised again. Help us see as you see. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. And by the power of your spirit, we'll experience your life and your love and your peace. Something the law could never give. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the spirit really wants us to see from the writings of Paul and the apostles and the Lord himself just how satanic the wrong use of the law is. There's a little verse in the book of Jude where the scripture says Satan tried to get the body of Moses. Michael, or was it Gabriel, rebuked him. Was it Michael? Michael didn't even try to fight directly against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now think about that, saints. Satan himself, he wanted more than anything to have the body of Moses. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the shrine that would have been built? For Moses, built by Satan himself. Can you imagine the Ten Commandments on that shrine? Can you imagine the thousands of tourists and people that would go to this shrine? This is where Moses was buried. You see, there's a satanic strategy to get you under law to get you thinking like you're under law and it's top priority in the satanic scheme of things paul says don't think it's strange that satan himself is able to transform himself into an angel of light and his ministers ministers of righteousness righteousness not sin Ministers of righteousness. You see, I really don't think we really see clearly sometimes how, how important it is to, to listen clearly to what the, the apostle told us about the law. The law is the letter of death, Paul said. Paul said the letter is the strength of sin. Paul said that we are to live our lives as if we're dead to the law. The same phrase he uses when he says we're to live as, we're, as we are dead to sin. Same phrase. We, we are to live in Christ as one who is dead to sin in the same way that we're to live as one who is dead to the law. This is the paradox. This is the, this is the revelation that the believer must have or else we will play with the law. Yes. That's right. 
We will have a mixture in our heads of, of uh, law and grace, and we'll still be on the fence, not knowing that we are actually eating the devil's food. Satan himself wanted the body of Moses. He didn't want the body of some drug dealer. He didn't want the body of some sinful person. He wanted the body of a righteous man. He wanted the, the man that received the oracles from Sinai. He wanted that. Satan wanted that. He didn't get it. The scripture says God buried Moses in a place where no one, not even Satan himself, could find. God himself made sure that there was not going to be a shrine to Moses, the man of the law, on this planet. Now, what does that tell you? It speaks volumes to me. Paul says there are those who wish to be teachers of the law, not knowing this first. He told Timothy, not knowing this first, that the law is not for the righteous. They desire to be teachers of the law. They want to teach the law of Moses. They love to teach the law of Moses. Not knowing this first, it is not for the righteous who are in Christ. Righteous now in Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. The law is not of faith, Paul said. It's not of faith. So anyway, I just, I really want to, I feel like we need to really hone in on this reality that is all in Scripture. And it really, he really played his hand, Satan really played his hand when he, when he really fought hard to get the body of Moses. And I'm so glad Jude recorded that, that little phrase and how God kept him from getting the body of Moses. Let's just look at that verse in Jude real quick. I want to take a look at that. It's just so counterintuitive to think like this. It's counterintuitive. That's why the scripture says these things are foolishness to the natural mind. To your, to your first impression or the way our mind defaults to thinking it's foolishness to think this way. Like how can the law be Satan's tool? I mean how can the law be the strength of sin? How can a commandment that teaches righteousness be a bad thing. I mean, what, what, what's, it's, it's counterintuitive. It is a revelation that once we get, we can see and we go, oh my gosh, of course. And I, one of the things I want to share this morning is what's behind it. What's really behind this, this satanic strategy to get you thinking like a law keeper as opposed to a believer. There's a strategy behind it that is, is really, once you see it, you go, oh, of course. Okay, let's look at this. Jude. Let's look at Jude real quick. Jude, the last book of the Bible before Revelation. Go to Jude chapter 2. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, it's actually, this verse is actually in your Bible. They didn't make it up. Yeah, right. Only my Bible has Jude chapter 2. No. Verse 9, there you go. Jude, small little book, only one chapter, verse 9. Michael, but Michael, the archangel. So it was Michael. I was thinking Gabriel, but that makes sense because Michael is the warring angel. You know, there were three archangels that God created. There was Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. And Lucifer, under him, was, were angels that were created under his control. And then under Michael, his control. Under Gabriel, his control. 
Which is why the scripture says he took a third of the angels with him when he fell, when Satan fell. Because he took all those that were under him with him, the fallen angels. So Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael have equal power. Which is why Michael did not and could not refute Lucifer directly because they were of the same rank. So he said, the Lord rebuke you. Lucifer. He didn't try to fight with him directly. Michael is the warring angel, which is why Michael's here, because this was a war. This was something that he was moved in, in, into position by God to stop this, and he, he resisted Lucifer's attempt to get Moses' body. Gabriel is more of the messenger. He brings the messages. He's, his whole entourage of angels are all about sending messages and getting messages from heaven to, to men on earth. But Michael's all about battle and warrior. I love that. You see a movie, Michael, with John Travolta? It's, it's totally unscriptural, but it was, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, you know, because here's Michael, the, the I mean, war, yeah, Michael, the warring angel, he's down on earth, and he, he gets a little break, he says, from heaven every now and then. He gets to go and have sugar. He loves sugar. <laughs> and he would, have, he would have his cereal bowl of cereal and pour sugar all over the bowl of cereal and it was just a cool movie, I thought, because it, it, it depicted him as the warrior. You know how he fought that bull in the open pit? He just wanted to fight. He was made to fight Michael, you know. So anyway, cool movie. Um, anyway, so here's, here's the, um, oh, yeah, verse 9. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, and this is Lucifer, argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Really, the point of Jude's writing this is to say that we cannot resist the enemy directly. It's only in the Lord and in the power of his might, the putting on the full armor of God. So we, that's the point of Jude is that we, don't, we, don't, uh, we cannot be on equal footing with the power of, powers of darkness. It has to be done through Christ, through the Lord himself who is inside of us, but also, this is a, a point that shows that Michael himself did not dispute this, but turned it over to the Lord to, to, dispute, to dispute him. Okay, so, he's, and he sought the body of Moses. We can infer from this, I think, I think I, that I have the spirit on this. I think we can infer from this that he wanted the body so he could create a grave site, so he could create a shrine, so he could create this thing of worship that men would Worship this man who brought the law of God to earth, which is exactly what Satan is after. He's after man worship. He's after uh, the focus on the law. He's after um, a focus on, on righteousness and doing good as opposed to the gift of righteousness and receiving the gift of goodness. See? It's a difference. So it seems like it's a good thing. You know, it seems like it's what's wrong with that. And that's why we, it takes revelation for us to see, you know, what Jesus did and who he really is. Okay, let's take a look at this in 1 Corinthians. Or is it, is it second? Let's go second. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians.
Yes, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I feel like already lights have gone off. Do you feel that? I feel like already, if I said nothing else the rest of this morning, everybody's on notice. Isn't that cool? I feel like the message has been delivered. It's kind of cool. I just feel this, that, that we are going to be more aware of Satan's scheming to put you under law than ever before. And to think as if you're a law keeper. And that's important. Do we think as law keepers? Or do we think as believers? Now, I want to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Let's take a look at this, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 3. For great is the mystery of your godliness. It is not as men suppose. Godliness is not as natural men suppose. Okay, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. Uh, let's just go with... Let's go verse 6. We'll start there, I guess. God made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory... This is a reference to the Ten Commandments. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. Satan's attempt to get the body of Moses was to put glory back on Moses. Glory back on the ministry of death. Glory back on the ministry of condemnation. Glory back on the letters engraved in stone. Verse 11. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. The reference there of glory in terms of Moses was this amazing event where the unseen opened up on Sinai. And the unseen realm was seen by natural eyes from the base of the mountain. They saw it as a consuming fire. They saw Moses walk into a consuming fire from the base of the mountain, the scripture says. To the people at the base of the mountain, it was as a consuming fire, and they saw Moses walk into it. The scripture says Moses saw something different. The very same scene they saw from the base of the mountain, natural men saw the glory of God, God opening up into this realm. The scripture says Moses walked into this, what appeared to them as a consuming fire, he walked into this refreshing mist. Is that awesome? So he was walking at what he saw was a shining, shimmering, glorious cloud, a mist that he walked into, a refreshing, watering mist in that desert. He felt this refreshing, glorious mist. But the very shiny, glorious mist that he experienced, they saw from the base of the mountain as a consuming fire. 
Okay, so it came with glory. I mean, it came with glory. That's glory. I mean, that's no other nation on the face of the earth has seen or heard the voice of God. The Jew heard the voice of God. Israel heard the voice of God. In fact, when they heard his voice speak from the mountain, they said, Moses, tell God not to speak anymore. We cannot bear it. Man, natural man, heard the voice of God speak directly to the eardrum, not revelation in the spirit. The eardrum was moving of a creature of this creation, a physical body heard the voice of God. It came with glory. It came with glory. And they said, tell him to not speak anymore. Moses, you tell us what to do. Let him speak to you, Moses, and then you tell us. We cannot bear the, the presence, the sense of, of that which is uncreated light, un, no beginning, no end, awesome origin of all things, the all in all speaking. <laughs> you know? And so that's what they, it came with glory. Paul says, as glorious as that was, as glorious as that was, it has no glory, Paul says, no glory compared, if you compare it, to the glory of the new covenant. What? No glory. No glory. That's what he said. Let's read it again. Look at verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, in this case, has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. What is the Spirit of God saying to the Apostle Paul? He's saying, would you please release, let go of the law. Let go of Moses. Stop, as, as Clark says, stop arguing with God. This is the same Paul that was commissioned by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus to explain his gospel. Jesus in Paul is writing these words. This is Jesus in Paul writing the words to these letters. This is Jesus himself explaining through Paul his gospel, his good news. And when he says here the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness, the word ministry just means, we think we hear the word ministry, we think churchy stuff, but the word ministry just means to serve something to somebody. When you minister something, you serve something to somebody. The law basically served you on a silver platter condemnation. The, the law served you in our death, the letters of death. But the gospel, the new covenant, actually serves us righteousness, the gift of righteousness and life. So that's what that means, the ministry. Or it serves something to us. It ministers something to us. And if we, if we, think, if we think like law keepers... What's being ministered to your mind is condemnation and death. And that's Satan's plan. 
But we're still going to get, I'm going to look at that one more time though. Okay, look at verse 12. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Now what does Paul mean by that? He, he means we can say stuff boldly like we're saying t- this morning. I mean, you can say boldly. The law is, is the ministry of condemnation. Boldly say it. You can say the law or, it, it, engraved on stone are the letters of death. Say it boldly. Um, the law is the strength of sin, Paul said. Say it boldly. We say it boldly. Why boldly? Because it's so radical. It's so otherworldly. It's so not like men think that you have to, he wants, you to be, he wants us to be bold about it and, and not say, you know, not be afraid to say it boldly. You see? So he, he's great, great boldness of speech. Almost to where a religious or legalistic person would think it's blasphemy. Yes, yes. And that's exactly what the Pharisees thought. They almost think it's blasphemy the way you're talking so boldly like this. That's exactly, the Pharisees called the early Christians, the, they called themselves, the Christians called themselves the kingdom, they were the, the kingdom of God, that they were in the kingdom of heaven, that they were the sons and daughters of God. But the Pharisees called the Christians the kingdom of arrogance. Because they were bold. They were bold. The Pharisees called them, the legalists called them the kingdom of arrogance. But they were the most humble of all. Because they received a righteousness that they knew they could never attain. While the Pharisees sought to achieve their own righteousness, their self-righteousness, refusing to submit themselves to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Awesome. See? So where does a badge of honor when someone calls you arrogant for boasting in your righteousness? Where does where a badge of honor when someone criticizes you for being a little too strong with this being dead to the law stuff? No. Be bold, Paul says. Be bold. And there's a reason for it. Okay. Verse 13. And not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed only in Christ. But to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil Lies over the heart. Satan wanted his body so bad. To this very day, the reading of Moses puts a veil over the mind and heart, hides the truth. Okay, this is so cool. What did, what's this stuff about Paul, Moses putting a veil over his face? Just briefly, what happened was Paul, I mean, Moses would go speak to God in the mount, he would come down. Or after the mount scene, he would then go to the temple they built, the um, temple in the wilderness, you know, that had the badger skin on the outside. I think that's so cool how God had, God had the, the temple in the wilderness made of badger skin on the outside. And on the inside, it was beautiful gold and, and linen of purple and red and blue and awesome gold utensils in the, in the holy place and so forth. Um, but outside, it looked like Something very common, badger skin. So it, it's just like God to say, you know, my glory is hidden. 
and, and God's not into impressing men. But once you go inside and you see what's inside, you're like, oh my gosh. Who would have known that this is inside this badger skin tent? You know? Okay, so when Moses would go into this tent and speak to God and come out and talk to the people, much like he did on Sinai when he first received the tablets, when God and Moses met between the wings of the cherubim and, and there was a, the presence was actually physically there. We know it's, it was physical because his face began to reflect what was physically in that room in the Holy of Holies. So when the presence of God was there before Moses and Moses spoke with, with God himself, the shining power of the presence caused his skin to shine. Not like the sun's rays that gives you a tan. This is a different kind of shining that makes your face look like what it is. So the shining that Moses was looking at began to come on him by just looking at him. I love this. This is the new covenant dynamic of how Christ is manifested in the believer. And Paul talks about that. It's so awesome. Beholding Christ in our inner man, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are transformed from glory to glory, from image to image to into his image. It's manifested what we already are on the inside of that, this badger skin and comes forth as we simply behold and see. Okay, so God was actually modeling the new dynamic that was going to come in the new covenant, which is why his face had to fade. Now, his face faded after he left the presence of God. And so when he talked to the people, he didn't want the people to see his face fading because he was afraid the people would, would think he's not speaking under the authority of God anymore. But it really was more than that because God instructed him to do this because it was a picture of the new covenant dynamic that was coming. So anyway, Moses would put a veil over his face. First, they would, he would show the shining. He'd come out, and they'd see the face shining. And they'd be like, whoa. And then they'd put, he'd put the veil over his face, and he would speak to the people what God had said. And it would also help them bear it a little bit, too, because, I mean, this face was probably bright. You know, it was, like, probably really cool. I mean, really bright, shining. As if it was God himself speaking. They've already had that experience at the mountain. They don't want that again. So here's the veil. Okay. Now behind the veil, something's happening. What's happening behind the veil? It's fading. It's fading. But they can't see it. They can't see that Moses' face is no longer shining. That's what happens when we put such, when we put glory, when we give glory to the law. We're blinded. Our minds are hardened, the scripture says. And a veil remains over our heart. And we don't see that Moses' face is no longer shining. We're looking in the wrong direction. We think behind that veil, that's the stuff. That, we're the people of the book. We are the people of the book. We need to have the Ten Commandments on every school. We need to focus on the Ten Commandments. That's, that's where it, it's at. I mean, I mean, grace is good, but you need a safety net. 
You need to, if you, you know, if you mess up with grace, at least you have the law. The law, you need that safety net. You need that fear of judgment. You need that. That's where the body, that's where the, the, no. There's no glory behind that veil. But we think there is. Okay. Verse 16. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. Now, what happens when the veil is taken away? First thing you see is Moses' face is not shining. So when you turn to the Lord and not to Moses, you see the veil is removed. And you see Moses is no longer shining, but the Lord is. The Christ. Life itself is shining. The tree of life. Life itself. He who follows me shall have the light of life. Righteousness itself is shining. To be joined to him is to be as he is. To be joined to him. To know that he is actually inside of us. I love Hazel's emphasis last Sunday on him being inside of us. There's a word going out in the body of Christ worldwide. If you listen for it, it's coming out everywhere. There's a new, fresh emphasis on how he is within you now. It's the word of the Spirit. It's in every corner you hear the Spirit speaking. If you listen for it, you'll hear it in preachers and teachers that, you, that maybe don't even understand the full message of grace, but they'll, they're saying it by the Spirit. God is speaking. Remember, remember, I am inside of you. I am in you. Christ in you, in you, in you, in you. Remember what Jacob said when he woke up from his dream? He said, God is in this place and I knew it not. One of the first things the new creation must really get is that I'm in union with him. As he is, so am I. Life, 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 not the letter that kills, not something to do. Life, life, the reality of what is. Okay. Then it says here, verse 16, I mean, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. He, he moves from the Lord to the Spirit because he's trying to, he's driving point to the, the home, driving home the point that he is within us. The Spirit is within us. And now where the Spirit of the Lord is, <clears throat> there is liberty, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay, that's basically, he's wrapping this awesome chapter up, and he's saying that our face is not veiled because, guess what, it doesn't fade. Paul had to veil his face because it faded. We are not in and out of fellowship with God anymore. Amen. Jeff sent me a text. Was it Rome? I mean, Psalm 41? Psalm 41 was, read Psalm 41 when you get a chance. Psalm 41 is a prophetic um, announcement of what you and I now have in Christ. Psalm 41 talks about how his presence is with us all the time. A present help in time of trouble. Always with us. Always with us. Always with us. That was not possible until Jesus came and did his work. Where he could remove our sin. What's that? 46. Oh, 46. I'm sorry. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Awesome psalm that is prophetically speaking back then of what you and I now have in him. That he is always with us. As Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Because he removed our sin from us. 
and gave us himself. He gave us himself. For Christ has been made unto me wisdom, this wisdom, this wisdom that is not of natural man, this wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ has been made this unto me by being joined to him. Okay, just wrapping it up real quick. The thinking, I believe, the satanic thinking behind this scheme of the enemy to get you thinking like a law keeper instead of a believer or to get you focused on how great the Ten Commandments are or how great Moses is and how great the law is or whatever, the thinking behind it is this. The secret, if I, if I could put it this way, the secret to the, to the whole Christian life is seen in the, in, the, in the moment, in the event when Peter walked on water out of the boat. It's the entire Christian life right there, how to live it. As you received him, so walk ye in him. Law-keeping thinking takes you and I away from a conscious dependence on the life. A conscious dependence on the life. Peter just looked at Jesus. He looked at Jesus. And he found himself walking on water. He just looked at him. He just looked at him. He just looked at him. He looked at him standing on water, and he started doing what he was doing. It's that simple. The enemy wants you to to not depend on what is inside of you. The life is inside of you. The law is not a faith, but depending on the life within is all about faith. All about faith. By grace through faith. There needs to be a heightened awareness of our union with him, a heightened awareness that we eat of a different tree now, the tree of life, not knowledge of life. Not like the knowledge of good and evil. It's not a tree of knowledge of life. It's life. To eat and drink of this life. We will then live in a conscious, a growing conscious dependence on him. And we're wired that way. As a new creation, we're wired that way. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We are branches on a vine. He is the the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do zero. He says, listen, this is it. This is as simple as this. As I live by my father, so shall you now live by me. Never lose sight of me. And me in you. It's that simple. It's so simple, but it's profound because it's like God, like Hazel said, God is inside of me. God is inside of me. And when the, the moment you start thinking like that more and more, and we th- start living like that more and more, the enemy has no power. This is the armor of God. The first thing Paul mentions in the armor of God is the belt of truth, the real, the reality, the reality of union with Him. And then the next thing he mentions is the breastplate of righteousness. We rest in another's righteousness. I mean, all those pieces of the armor fall into place and you see, oh my God, God is in me so I can stand in the evil day. The evil day being a reference to when the enemy comes in like a flood. From time to time he comes in and pushes us and, and 
wrestles with us and fights us and resists us and lies to us. We stand in the evil day because we don't take the bait. We don't take the bait and try to be a better person. We don't take the bait and try to think like a law keeper. We don't take the bait and go to the shrine of Moses. We listen to the spirit that says, peace, be still. As I am, so are you. Fear not. As I am, so are you. I am in you. You are in me. Peace. Peace, Peter. Come, Peter. Come. Look at me. Look at me only, Peter. See? Satan failed to get the body of Moses because God intervened. Think about that. Think about that. Think of the heart of the Father, how he does not want you to do this on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can't. The enemy, that's the lie. You don't need God to be like God. If you knew this, if you had the knowledge of good and evil, you could be like God without God. That's the lie. I heard something on the radio just the other day. It said, a Christian radio station said, do your best and leave the rest to God. No! The rest? Do your best. FM 88.3, I think it was. Do your best and leave the rest to God. No. Rest. The rest of God? The rest? Leave the rest to God. So I didn't need God for this, for the best. My best. I didn't need God for that, but I need God for the rest. No, it should be, you can do nothing without God. Rest in him and watch God be God in you. It's just, that's the leaven of the law in our thinking, in our speaking, even on Christian radio. Do your best and leave the rest to God. Tried that for 25 years. Didn't work. Ah. It's so counterintuitive. It's so different. It's not of this earth. I'll close with this. Paul says in the Galatian letter, he says, when he heard legalism, when he heard those that came up from Jerusalem to put them back under law and get them thinking as a law keeper instead of a believer, Paul says, we did not submit ourselves to that teaching for one hour. Galatians. Hear the passion of Paul. Hear the the seriousness of Paul about seeing what law is. Who is behind that veil working this scheme of law and making Moses look like he's the answer and the Ten Commandments looking so glorious when it's compared to the glory you have now. There is no glory, Paul says. We did not submit ourselves to that teaching for one hour. But many believers submit themselves to that teaching hour after hour after hour after hour, reading books, listening to the radio, watching TV, and come here and get some relief. Or maybe some other church that teaches grace. But Paul says, no, don't submit yourself to that stuff for even one hour. It's like getting bread with rat poisoning in it poison in it. It looks good on the outside, smells like freshly cooked bread. You start eating it and you start feeling sick. You start feeling condemned. You start feeling unworthy. You start feeling like I've got a long way to go. I start feeling like I'm sinking in the water. All those things. The enemy's plan. Okay. Thanks guys. Thanks for your patience. 
Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. I pray that you would seal this truth in our heart, that we would see that the glory we have in you far surpasses any glory that came on Mount Sinai. In fact, Moses himself says, there shall arise another after me, like unto me, and all who do not listen to this one, this Christ, shall be cut off. Moses' testimony himself was to look to the Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.